0: Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Season 2 of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist Exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy.
1: Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did.
0: This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener
1: note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, If you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at PushingPediatrics or send us an email at PushingPediatrics at gmail.com.
0: Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program, but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription, or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page.
1: Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today.
0: Welcome back. We are continuing this week with some case studies on cerebral palsy from the Case Files book. We are going over four cases this week. The one thing that is nice about all of these cases together is that they go through the early lives of the child into transitioning to adulthood. Keep the child in mind as you're working through these cases. Take time to answer the questions at the end and look at the objectives and challenge questions at the end of each case. This way, you can gather what is important during each stage of life, in each different setting of pediatric physical therapy.
1: We are going to start with case six, cerebral palsy, early intervention. A 26-month-old female is currently receiving early intervention services, she was born prematurely at 28 weeks of gestational age via cesarean section due to maternal preeclampsia and subsequent fetal distress. She had an initial Apgar score of four at one minute and six at five minutes requiring supplemental oxygen. The child remained in the neonative intensive care unit at, for nine weeks due to prematurity, poor feeding, and difficulty with lung development she was referred for physical therapy following discharge from the NICU, but the child's mother did not follow through with medical recommendations. Subsequently, the child, her mother, and the mother's live-in boyfriend moved to a neighboring community. The hospital medical staff lost contact with the family following this move. At seven months of age, the child was referred for early intervention services under the IDEA Part C, due to failure to progress with gross motor skills and spasticity in her upper and lower extremities, as well as difficulties with feeding. The child qualified for an individualized family service plan, the IFSP, with teacher support and occupational, physical, and speech therapies at home. A social worker assisted the family in obtaining medical services and helped facilitate consistent follow-up with services for the child. The mother was given support for transportation to the hospital where the child was followed by a pediatrician, orthopedist, neurologist, and a team of professionals, including physical, occupational, and speech therapists. The mother works part-time at a local pizza restaurant and has more consistently attended her daughter's medical appointments and therapy sessions. The mother has difficulty understanding many of the medical terms and concerns regarding her daughter's health and diagnosis. The mother's boyfriend has not been involved with the family since a drug conviction just after the move. The child has received physical therapy services from age 8 months until her current age of 26 months. At 20 months of age, she was diagnosed with spastic diplegic CP. Since initiation of physical and occupational therapy, her gross motor skills have improved. She independently rolls from supine to prone and can maintain sitting on the floor, though she needs assistance to be placed in sitting. She was initially fitted with bilateral AFOs to support the posture of her feet during stance and ambulation, as well as bilateral knee immobilizers and resting night orthoses due to hamstring and Achilles tendon tightness, respectfully. She was also provided with a supine stander. Currently, she has bilateral hip and knee contractures and demonstrates lower extremity hypertonicity especially during movement for transfers, walking, and all static and dynamic balance activities. She can walk short distances indoors with a posterior wheeled walker and adult support to help her with turning and managing the walker. When she is not using her AFOs, she toe walks and demonstrates hyperlordosis. The outpatient physical therapy evaluation reveals that her mobility skills are consistent with GMFCS level three. She requires moderate assistance with self-care activities, transfers, and all mobility. She seeks opportunities to be as independent as she can and is often impulsive. The child attends daycare five days per week.
0: So let's start off with some general physical therapy plan of care and goals. Remember, in this case, we have a 26-month-old. So that's what we're thinking about right now as we're making these plans. So some goals include initiation of early intervention services, maximize independent mobility and physical function, activity and participation, and also minimize secondary impairments. Some interventions include coordination and communication with parents and the overall team, patient-related instruction targeted toward parents and caregivers, positioning, mobility, caregiver education, Gate training, strengthening activities, orthotics and bracing, maintenance of range of motion, and play and child engagement. Think about what's appropriate for this child at this age specifically. Where are they now and where do they need to go from here?
1: Precautions during physical therapy include close monitoring of skin integrity with the use of AFOs, close positioning during transfers and gait trainer use, and safety monitoring during movement due to potential impulsivity of the child. Complications during physical therapy may include parental need to learn about diagnoses and its implication and how to best help their child learn, play and gain independence. Assisting with the family connections for resources if they have limited financial means is also important to consider.
0: Remember, in early intervention, services are being provided in the child's natural environment. Recommended interventions should be structured so that they fit within a family's daily routine, thereby allowing for increased practice and adherence. If you make the interventions practical for the family and easy to fit within their lives, they are more likely to complete the task.
1: Something else to consider is to use a standing frame for children with cerebral palsy who are non-ambulatory. This program may reduce spasticity and improve bone density, hip stability, social interaction, and alertness. This is grade B evidence. If you haven't checked out Ginny Palig's article on the benefits of standing, definitely check that out. The child engagement in daily life and the ease of caregiving for children measures are valid and reliable tools to assess participation for young children with CP and the difficulty of caregiving for young children with CP. This is grade B evidence. The gross motor function measure, or the GMFM, is a valid and reliable tool to measure gross motor function and evaluate change over time in children with CP. This is grade A evidence, so definitely make sure you know the GMFM if you don't already. Remember, there are gross motor curves for the GMFM as well. We posted this article on Instagram a few weeks ago, so check
0: that out. Moving on to our next case, number seven, cerebral palsy elementary school. The girl from K6 comes back again in this case. So the child from K6 is now five and a half years old. She is attending half-day preschool at her local child care center five days per week and will begin attending full-day kindergarten at her local public elementary school in three months. The physical therapy services she receives are transitioning from early intervention services provided under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act, IDEA Part C, to school-aged programming services provided under IDEA Part B. As part of this process, she has been referred for a full educational evaluation that will be completed by the elementary school's education team. The evaluation consists of the typical testing performed on every child entering kindergarten, in addition to evaluations completed by the school's district's educational psychologist, occupational therapist, speech therapist, and physical therapist. At her current preschool, the child is in the classroom with one teacher, a classroom assistant, and 14 additional preschoolers. In addition, she is assigned a classroom assistant whose primary role is to assist her throughout the day. At the preschool, she receives physical therapy services, 45 minutes twice per week, and occupational therapy services, 30 minutes twice per week. Although the educational team has tried to include her in the majority of preschool activities, her participation in outdoor playground activities continues to be a challenge and she prefers to play inside with her friends. As part of the transition evaluation, the school-based physical therapist from the kindergarten will conduct interviews with the child, her mother, and her preschool education team to identify the child's strengths and needs associated with accessing and participating in her preschool environment and their related concerns regarding her upcoming transition to kindergarten. Using the GMFM and results from a full evaluation, the physical therapist determined that the child's gross motor skills were consistent with gross motor function classification system level three. The therapist recommended physical therapy services as part of the school based programming to help her access her educational environment and to provide training and consultation with her kindergarten education team. Currently, the child sits in a classroom chair with a high back pelvic positioning belt and armrests. Since she has not demonstrated the endurance and sitting balance to safely maintain sitting for a 30-minute lunch period, the physical therapist is concerned that the child will require adaptive seating in the public school lunchroom because the bench seats do not provide back support. Although the child can walk up and down a short flight of stairs using two handrails and moderate assistance from an adult, The school team anticipates having her use the elevator to access the second floor where her kindergarten classroom and library are located. In addition, the child will require an evacuation plan in the event of an emergency, like a fire, and appropriate staff must be trained in safe emergency evacuation procedures. Although the kindergarten offers an adaptive physical education class that includes children with various gross motor challenges, The child's mother requested that her daughter not attend this adaptive programming, but rather be included in the regular physical education class with appropriate modifications. The child's kindergarten physical education team has explained to the school-based physical therapist that they are willing to incorporate the child to the best of their abilities, but they are anxious due to the large class size and their limited experience working with children with similar physical challenges. The child's mother asked about obtaining a power wheelchair to enable her daughter to have more independent and efficient mobility for increased distances in the elementary school. The preschool physical therapist has recommended to the child's mother that they attend a seating clinic at a local children's hospital to obtain this equipment and the child's mother made this appointment. The child's mother has also been in contact with a local support agency, and received financial assistance to support her daughter's medical equipment needs and physical therapy services through a local outpatient physical therapy clinic.
1: Let's start off with some general physical therapy plans of care and goals. Some goals include coordinating the transition to kindergarten with related services needed to support the child in her educational program, provide efficient means to access the school environment, and create meaningful adaptations to promote participation in school activities. Some interventions include coordination and communication of all members of the team, educating school staff to help increase student self-efficacy and safe strategies for assistance with transfers and mobility, procedural interventions for specific goals, and development of an emergency evacuation plan. Think about what's important in school for a child. Maybe it's mobility within the classroom or for longer distances throughout the school. Maybe it's going up and down the stairs or bus steps. Maybe it's accessing something in their classroom.
0: Precautions and complications for therapy include fatigue. Some complications include increased time required for educational activities, related service, increased energy and time demands for activities throughout the school day, and increased energy and time demands for mobility with assistive devices.
1: Now think to yourself, what outcome measures would be appropriate for this child? What interventions? What are some special considerations for this child? One outcome measure that we have talked about a lot is the school function assessment. This tool is reliable and valid for assessment of participation and activity in elementary school students. This has grade A evidence. Something else to consider is transition planning, getting the child ready to transition into kindergarten in this case. Physical therapists can help families understand the transition planning when children begin school-based services. This has grade C evidence. Finally, independent mobility is especially important during the school years to enable children with disabilities to interact with peers and to learn from exploring the environment. This is grade B evidence.
0: The Case Files book has a great chart of different focuses of interventions and a list of different outcome measures and tests that can be included with school-aged children with cerebral palsy. A few include the six-minute walk test and the timed up and down stairs.
1: Let's move on to case number eight, cerebral palsy, post-secondary education and transition to adulthood. The youth from cases six and seven with spastic diplegic CP did well in high school, and completed a college preparatory track for computer science. When she was reevaluated for a transitional IEP at age 16, the team determined that she no longer required specifically designed instruction to access her educational programming. She continued to receive consultative physical therapy services guidance services, and orientation and mobility training via a service agreement plan through the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. She was accepted to a public four-year university accessible from her home by regional rail lines. In high school, she worked with her guidance counselor and school-based physical therapist to develop self-advocacy skills and learn what resources and accommodations were available and how to request needed accommodations. She learned about her rights and protections as an individual with a disability under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 and under the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. She also worked with a mobility and orientation specialist to learn how to take the city subways and regional rail lines in preparation for attending college. She is currently a senior in college with a major in computer design and a minor in marketing. She has worked closely with the University's Office of Accommodations and receives accommodated on-campus dormitory housing and academic accommodations, including extended time on assignments and examinations and the option to use a note taker for courses. She ambulates with bilateral forearm crutches in her dormitory and college classrooms. She uses her power wheelchair for longer distances, such as between her room and the cafeteria and between classes. In high school, she preferred not to use her power wheelchair. However, she has realized that the power wheelchair is the fastest and most energy efficient means of long distance mobility. The dormitory has a push button activated automatic door to access the building. She is independent with self-care tasks and her room has an adjacent privately accessible bathroom with grab bars near the toilet and shower and a zero threshold and large shower stall that accommodates a shower bench. She wears bilateral molded AFOs and is independently donning and doffing them. Her friends help her with tasks such as taking her laundry to the basement laundry room. While the transition from high school to the university setting was relatively smooth, her transition to adult healthcare services has been challenging. She has had difficulty finding an adult-oriented primary care physician that she feels has a thorough understanding of CP. During her freshman year, she tried to maintain her ambulation skills and keep up with her home exercise and stretching program, but academic and social time demands made this difficult. During her sophomore year, it was more difficult for her to ambulate and she also began experiencing hip and low back pain. She found a pediatric physical therapist experienced in working with teenagers and young adults with CP and received physical therapy services twice a week for six weeks to address her pain. She is not attending physical therapy at this time and wants to find an adult-oriented primary care physician and physical therapist with a good understanding of the long-term effects of CP on adults. She is also interested in receiving Botox A injections in her hamstrings, again, because her spasticity continues to limit her hamstring range of motion and transferability. Through social media and online research, she learned that some adults with CP have had positive outcomes from selective dorsal rhizotomy surgery and wants to know if this is an option for her. She has started applying and interviewing for jobs at local marketing firms. While potential employers have expressed interest in her resume and portfolio, she feels that some are hesitant due to her physical disability. The university's Career Center has been working with the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation in her state to help potential employers understand her physical disability and her ability to meet the expectations of the positions to which she is applying.
0: I'm here. That was a long one. Let's begin with general physical therapist plan of care and goals. Some goals include to coordinate transition and support into the work environment assist in facilitating workplace acceptance and accommodations for employment, providing adaptations needed to support participation in a full-time working environment, and successful transition into an adult-oriented healthcare system. Some physical therapy interventions include coordination and communication with the student's high school educational team, the university accommodations office, a mobility specialist, transportation offices, and adjust healthcare providers. Others include instruction on health promotion and energy conservation and assisting in the transitioning to adult-oriented healthcare providers.
1: Sometimes parents rely on you during this stage of transition planning. I have had parents feel lost and unsure what direction to go in and also certain things that they don't think about, like who to contact if their equipment breaks. Making sure the child and their families are set up for success is crucial. Some precautions to be aware of as the child is transitioning into being an adult include pain, fatigue, postural asymmetry, and decreased balance. Some complications that may interfere with physical therapy include medical insurance plan restrictions, increased time and energy demands for daily tasks, employment and exercise, Decline of mobility and increases in secondary impairments and lack of public transportation and accessibility. Some additional things to consider include the benefits of strength training, whether or not Botox will assist in reducing pain and spasticity in this specific child and what interventions would benefit the child
0: most. So this would also be a really great time to circle back to episode eight from this season, where we reviewed the APTA fact sheet on the transition to adulthood for patients with neuromuscular disorders. That is this exact scenario that we reviewed before. So that would be a really great episode now to go back and listen to again and make sure it kind of fits with what we've been talking about. All right, let's move on to our last and final case for today. It's case number nine, fitness and cerebral palsy. A 12 year old boy with spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, gross motor function classification level two is undergoing a physical therapy exam. When asked about his desired goals and outcomes for physical therapy, the child reports that he would like to participate in sports activities with his friends. Further questioning reveals that he rarely participates in play activities that involve physical activity, and that his preference is to partake in sedentary activities such as watching television and playing video games. The boy's parents support his goals and state that they have been concerned about their son's physical fitness. However, they're also concerned about his safety and specifically that playing sports might not be good for him. They are especially concerned that participating in sports activities might increase his spasticity and deteriorate his quality of movement.
1: Some physical therapy goals and plan of care include promoting health and wellness and improving fitness parameters such as aerobic and anaerobic capacity, agility, strength, and flexibility. Physical therapy interventions include customized exercise programs to meet the individual physical demands of desired outcomes. Precautions during physical therapy include appropriate warm-up and cool-down activities to decrease risk of injury and monitor biomechanical alignment issues and adverse effects, such as musculoskeletal-related pain. Complications may include overuse injuries. The case file book goes through some outcome measures for children, GMFCS levels one and two. So take a look at these. A few include the 10 meter shuttle run test and the muscle power sprint test.
0: For some time, it was thought that strength training with children with cerebral palsy was not beneficial, but there is some research coming out that states that it is fine and safe to do so. Strength training in children was the same. It is important to promote health and wellness throughout the child's life in order to combat the secondary impairments seen in children and adults with cerebral palsy. One article that we would like to bring your attention to is the Utrecht approach to exercise in chronic childhood conditions. While this article is a little dated from 2011, it has superb information in it about the parameters for many different diagnoses and conditions that we deal with every day. It has great charts that are easy to understand and study. It is one of the recommended articles through both MedBridge and PCS Advantage, so make sure you add it into your study schedule.
1: Well, that's it for this week. Join us next week as we jump into some research-heavy episodes, as well as some additional case studies for you. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Happy studying. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time.
0: And remember, you totally got it.